This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. This episode is sponsored by R.W. Knutson Organic Just Tart Cherry Juice, a welcome addition to anyone's sleep routine. Pace Case, if you know me, and you do, mm-hmm. you know that I'm yep. working all hours of the day, all hours of the night. Mm-hmm. So the sleep that I do get has to be very good sleep. And I'm always looking for ways to up my sleep routine. Sometimes I'll read a book to go to sleep. Sometimes mm-hmm. I'll- a Bachelor? Uh, that book keeps me very awake. It's very engaging. That never puts me to sleep. Mm. I will sometimes just put down my cell phone after a long day of looking at a screen. It's nice to get some time away from the screen. I also will incorporate- some R.W. Knutson Organic Just Tart Cherry Juice. It truly makes you go to sleep a little easier. It's the thing you need to help you drift off into the dreamland. Mm. As more and more people are looking to prioritize sleep, Organic Just Tart Cherry is having a moment thanks to Tart Cherry's potential sleep-related benefits and potential to aid in muscle recovery when you get those gains like clues. We're seeing this in the viral sleepy girl mocktail trend on social media. R.W. Knutson has a whole lineup of natural juices with zero added sugar, so you can feel good about adding them to your wellness routine. It's all about celebrating those daily wins. Organic Just Tart Cherry Juice is made from tart cherries, which may help you get a better night's sleep because they have natural melatonin. R.W. Knudsen crushes only 100% real ingredients so you can crush everything you do. Pick up a bottle at your local grocery store today. It's the Game of Roses. Welcome to the Game of Roses. This is the Game of Roses. Welcome to the Game of Roses. We thought we are just getting a date card, but... Caitlin tells us that we have all been invited into this this pledge of uh, of no more onanation, as Mark Twain put it. No more downtown Lester Brown. No more low five. No more getting jiggy with it. Welcome to Game of Roses. This is Pace Case. This is Bachelor Clues, and I don't really know what we saw tonight. There was some very weird shit 
in tonight's big whoa, game. Whoa, <laughs> That was one of the weird things in it. There were fully scripted scenes. There were scenes that made no sense. There were underused and misused Jorge Moreno bystanders of the week. There was all kinds of mess in tonight's episode, but there were some good plays as well. Yeah. There were also some errors. I do love mess. <laughs> some of it. Right. The first mess that we're going to talk about, I did not love. <laughs> we will get to all of that, as you know. Thank you for joining us. Uh, but before we get to the big game, we have some bits of business. You see, Game of Roses is a corporation, and we are Gorecorp. <laughs> At this point, Gorecorp currently has two products available for purchase. One of them, as I'm sure many of you know, is our second t-shirt, which is a Do You Huju t-shirt. I've made a few commercials for it. I mean, Gore Corporation's marketing department has made a few commercials <laughs> for it. <laughs> and uh, those are on our Instagrams. You can see those. There are links all our over our Instagrams. <laughs> yes. Thank you. <laughs> uh, but you can pick up that t-shirt at bonfire.com slash huju you can watch all the commercials across our social media and that shirt should get to you just in time for paradise which is coming up in the middle of august so you can wear this shirt into your paradise viewing parties and your friends who are not in the pit will be like what does that shirt mean do you huju and then you get to corner them in the kitchen for an hour and a half and explain to them exactly how the huju is the most important part of the sub game much more mm-hmm. important than anyone realizes and it's not a joke this t-shirt will transform the corner of your friend's kitchen into your own rose palapa that's the goal anyway and in addition to this beautiful shirt we now proudly present our life's work. Pace Case and I have written a book called How to Be called How <laughs> to Win the Bachelor. <laughs> I was almost said How to Be the Bachelor, but that's not it. The title is How to Win the Bachelor. Yeah, that'll be the sequel. But this one is called How to Win the Bachelor, and it is currently available for pre-sale. We have links all over our social media so that you can pre-buy this book now. It's coming out January 18th, and we're trying to cram in as many pre-sales as we can from now until January 18th in the hopes that we can actually become a New York Times bestseller. Because if you can get enough pre-sales, they all get counted towards your first week sales, and that number is the best chance you're going to have at being a New York Times bestseller. And if we can crack that door open, we can do a lot of other things. We, we can get a marketing department. Yeah, we might actually have a marketing department. It's not just me on a Saturday morning re-watching old Huju footage, which I love. Don't get me wrong. It's, it is very fun to do. Your commercials were transcendent. I'm oh, not going to lie. I was blown away. Well, I may have another um, one coming up this next week. <laughs> I look forward to it. Uh, you can get this book on kindle or hardcover right now well you can't get it right now you can order pre-sale wherever you get your books or or find the link in our bios on our instagram at game of roses so that's it that's our business up front we hope that you guys pick up a t-shirt we hope that you pick up the book which again will be out in january and now without further ado let's dive into tonight's big game and now, Pace Case and Bachelor Clues proudly present 
analysis of play in this week of our beloved game. This is Game of Roses. All right, so just some context. We're in the midpoint of our season here. This is week five, episode six. We're going into the fifth rose ceremony at the end of this episode, and we know who the front runners are. We know what the rivalries are and all this kind of stuff. At this point, we feel like we know where we stand. This is how it is every middle of every season, and there's always a few surprises, mm-hmm. a few curveballs, and we got some of that tonight. But tonight's big game opened with the promo, as it always does. We see that there is going to be some wedding photography with Justin and Katie. We see that there is a hooju done to Connor the Catman, and Blake makes out with Katie, a bunch of makeouts with Katie. We see some drag race stars are going to be joining us for the night. We see Hunter lying about falling in love. And he's going to be the villain, it seems like, with a 4TWR accusation. And we see tears from players and Katie alike. And that brings us into the game. The first things that we see in tonight's game after the promo are creatures. Double creatures to make up for our creatureless episode last week. First, a hawk screeching as it flies through nature. And then a goose sticks its head in the water. Not my creature of the week. Neither of these are my creatures either, but I did want to know. Anytime they show these hawks, they always sweeten it with some screeching sounds. Those are not real. That's the editor <gasps> throwing that in there. For what no. reason, I have no idea. Of course. It's to seem menacing and like they're out in the desert. They could be picked off, you know? Yeah, ex- that's exactly right. It's to make it seem like this is a hostile environment. Which it's clearly not. It's a fucking resort. Like, (laughs) how hostile could it be? (laughs) Anyway, we then move into Katie in her room where Tasha and Caitlin (laughs) join her and they start talking about last week. I can't even fucking start talking about this. This whole fucking scene. I just don't even know. I don't understand it, but... They're sitting here talking, and Katie's talking about how she has a solid group of guys, strong connections with more than one guy, maybe even falling for some of them. She thanks Tasha for connecting her with Blake, and they're like, who else? Who else? And she's like, Greg, obviously. Okay, so we get our front runners, and then we get a few shots of the guys back in the main room talking about how they feel. As Katie is narrating over it, she also mentions Michael A. being a front runner, and she mentions the one-on-one with Andrew from last week going well. So... We get the context of these are the ones to watch, basically. And then she starts talking about how hot the guys are. And we see a couple of shots of them working out. And then we get what is, in my opinion, one of the strangest moments in the history of this show. This conversation between the Ultimate Girl Gang for me was unwatchable. It was stilted. It was acting. It was nonsense. It had it all. (laughs) Unwatchable? Uh... Your Honor, I object. You see, I watched it five times, trying to find anything in it to anchor me to fucking reality, and there was nothing. I assure you, there were no anchors to reality. I don't know what the fuck this was. I was like, okay, let's just break down. Here's what happens. Uh, Katie tells... I'm a bad judge. I reject your objection. (laughs) No, I sustain it. So... 
Katie tells Tasha and Caitlin that she wants to implement this no jerking off policy for the guys, and she represents this as her original idea. She says, I kind of had this idea. <laughs> now, right off the bat, that's not true. The producers, at the very least, are aware of this. They probably attempted to enforce it because it's like, oh, you came into the show with a dildo. You clearly like to masturbate. So you, we can do a funny joke where you basically have control over their masturbation practices, I guess. Ha ha ha. I'm like, okay, I guess. But she's not selling it that it's her idea. <laughs> I guess. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Also, if you like reverse the genders in this, that's oh, a weird no. thing. Never. Exactly. Never like, can imagine. Do that. <laughs> correct. You can never do it. And in this moment, she says that the boys will not be allowed to, in quotes, indulge in self care. And then Caitlin and Tasha do this terrible fucking acting like they don't know what she's talking about. And they've already been told by the producers what is happening. This is an acted scene. They're feigning ignorance by saying, oh, they play dumb skincare routines. And Katie's like, no, the handshake with themselves. Tee hee hee. And they're skirting around this thing. They're trying to present the idea of jerking off as pleasantly (laughs) as possible so that it can be pumped into three and a half million American homes all across the Midwest and the South, and everybody will be like, oh, this is cheeky. But they're just talking about jerking off. They're talking about, I guess, trying to make this the too hot to handle episode. They're like, this is a really trendy show on Netflix. We could kind of do a little running bit with this. But the, I mean, the most frustrating part of this is for me, if you're going to do that, Set it up so that there's a group date later that has something to do with this. Totally. That had nothing to do with anything that was in this episode. And then they kind of try to shoehorn in this end of the Blake Moynes romance story, which also undercuts what is arguably the strongest romance story in this whole fucking show. I, it drove me nuts. (laughs) I agree. This, look, we have talked very openly about all these bubble seasons being disasters and it's not because of the players and it's not because of the leads it's because of how the producers are constructing these narratives coming up with these ideas for dates which we're going to get into a little bit later in this one too the one-on-one date was just we literally saw it happen with the same person the same person that was helping them in the day one season ago we literally just saw it at any rate don't get me started, but I guess I already am. We get the PGifying of this conversation by Tasha. She says, Jesus's ears can't hear all of this. Jesus is God. He created The Bachelor. And this not jerking off plan, Operation Wo-Wo, is part of his glorious plan. Anyways... <laughs> Caitlin says, I can't wait to see the boys and make it hard for them, make it very hard for them. And then the producers cut to a shot of a, it's either a single fence post or a piece of wood sticking straight up. Or a part of a ladder. Like a erection. Could be a part of a ladder. Whatever it was, it's a piece of wood sticking straight up. Clearly they're making a phallic reference here. Pretty funny, guys. And we're going to get a little bit more of those kind of visual references later later in the show as well. But then uh, Caitlin comes in to tell the guys about Operation Wo-Wo, the week without whacking off. Oh, I thought it was week off, whack off. Oh, maybe it is. Week off, whacking off. All of that is dumb, too. They give it this name, but then they beep out half of it, so you can't even hear what the fucking name of the thing is. 
this is just from top to bottom bad concept bad execution not entertaining just a waste of all of our times in my opinion bristow can't even get it out she comes into the house laughing already (laughs) and this is a little on brand for her and it's you know it's technically on brand for katie because of the dildo but like both of them use blue humor both of them have a kind of sexuality to the way that they tell jokes and stuff like that so it's at least an attempt to be in their tone i got that i'm not saying i appreciate it necessarily because again it fell flat for me but at least i kind of get where they were going having caitlin come in to deliver this and all the guys are like oh shit week without jerking off how the hell are we gonna do that and they all point to blake as the most likely jerker offer because he takes long showers mikey p says he's been not masturbating his whole life basically so i guess in addition to being a virgin he also doesn't masturbate it's a weird brag connor b does a lovely little colorful narrator here he says, we've all been invited into this pledge of no more on own a nation, as Mark Twain put it. Sorry, Mark Twain, I butchered it. No more downtown Lester Brown. No more low five. No more getting jiggy with it. By the way, the uh, storyline that everyone hates Blake Boynes has instantly been dropped. Brendan is back being friends with him, pointing at him, being like, haha, he's going to have the hardest time with this. And that ends the first portion. It's just this strange... They tee up who all the front runners are and then right into this weird guys can't jerk off thing. And it truly seems like that's what the whole episode is going to be about. And none of the episode is about it. So they have done this kind of false premise where we're all like, okay, well, how's that going to affect anything? Oh, it's not. Don't worry. Anyway, on to the next portion. It's just such a, it's a mess. Like I said, this show is a mess. Portion 2 opens with a date card. It's a one-on-one for Justin. It reads, I can picture a future with you. And then we cut to a very interesting conversation between Hunter and Greg. Hunter tells him that he has a shot for a second one-on-one. And Grippo feigns ignorance here and he says, does that happen? And Hunter's like, it does. (laughs) Not very often, but it does. And Hunter is correct here. At least on The Bachelor, we mentioned up top that we have a new book coming out called How to Win the Bachelor, and here's just a a little taste of some things that might be in it. We really break down statistically the entire history of the game, and Hunter here is telling Greg about the likelihood of getting a second one-on-one date. Now, I don't know about what it is in The Bachelorette, but after our hyperbinge, I can tell you exactly what it is in The Bachelor. There have been 196 total one-on-one dates in The Bachelor. 41 players have had two one-on-ones in a single season, and no players have ever had three one-on-ones in a single season. Only three players in history have had both the first and last one-on-ones of the same season. That is Helene X. Sterowitz, who was a ring winner, Ali Fedotowski, who was a bachelorette, and the Hannah Brown, who was a bachelorette as well. So if you can get the first and last date in a season, you're doing something right. You're golden. I loved this straight-up strategy math conversation. And Hunter is clearly a student of the game, being like, especially the guy who gets the first one. He is aware of the game. And he knows a little bit about it. He knows some (laughs) rudimentary information. Because he then goes on to say that he thinks Katie has selected her top four. Greg himself, Connor, and he doesn't know who the other one is in this moment anyway. 
What he doesn't realize is that Katie doesn't select her top four. Katie selects her top one or two. Producers select the remainder of them. So he's not quite aware of how much power the third audience actually wields over the entire game. But uh, Grippo here calls him calculated. Grippo. <laughs> Grippo says he seems super calculated as a super fan. By the way, they were sitting under blankets between ladders during this conversation. Ooh. I didn't know. And our next image. We see an owl, but it's during the daytime and it's in a little crevice. This calculating super fan owl doing the numbers was my. Creature of the week. Owls are good at math. I feel like we know that from memes. So I liked that they paired it with this conversation. Who exactly do you mean when you say we know that? Like the the nation, like the collective <laughs> we. Okay. Like the entire sure. population of um the world. We know that, yeah. You know, how many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop? Oh, right. That's numbers. That's a little bit of math. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I just want to real quick go back to... Grippo saying that he's a super fan of the show as though that's bad. This is the fucking professional era now, dude. You better be a fan of the show, too. You better at least know the game mechanics or you're fucked. He is. Grippo's lying. Oh, totally. I agree. That crinkled, like, niece necklace? Come on. You don't just pull that out of your ass, never having seen the show. We're hitting this point in the game, I think, where being a super fan... Knowing the game mechanics, knowing the structure is not going to be a thing that can get you a a real 4TWR accusation. At a certain point, that has to fall away. And the the raw gameplay has to be right there and everybody has to accept it, I think. Especially if the crown is a super fan. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. When, well, we'll get to it later, but like when they're telling her that, like, oh, he's a super fan of the show. It's like, uh, yep, so am I. Anyway. We then go to our one-on-one with Justin, and they walk down this path in the New Mexican wilderness, and they encounter... By an outdoor ladder. Is there really? <laughs> Goddamn, I've been missing yeah. all these ladders. There I'm are literally hundreds of thousands <laughs> of ladders in this episode. Weird. I don't know how you missed them. I, I guess everywhere. it's just like it's the like motif the style of, the, of this. Yeah, yeah it is. Uh, well, they walk down this path, and they encounter none other than Franco LaCosta. Franco LaCosta was my. Jorge, 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 Jorge Moreno, bystander of the week. Franco LaCosta is in every fucking season now. He lives in the show. <laughs> he may not be real. Maybe he's just a computer-generated character of the show. He may I don't not know. be real. This is his second fucking appearance in this season. This is I mean, insane. I hate to point out that I was right, but I did make a prediction when he wasn't a photographer that he was going to be sequestered and they were going to bring him out again for photography. So... But will this continue? Will the reign of LaCosta continue into seasons yes. beyond the bubble season? Do you think they're going to be flying 100%. him around the world? Ooh. 
No, I think he will only really be in the group dates in the first week. All right. Well, I hope we get to see more of him. He's always entertaining as shit. Anytime I see him on yeah. screen, I'm like, oh my God, what's he wearing? What's he going to say? What's he going to do? He's, he's great. Wearing, oh, he's wearing a beautiful sequin jacket dress. He's back in his element too. He's got a little sparkle in his eye because he's got his camera in his hand. Love it. He was not my bystander of the week though. Oh, well, we'll see who that'll be a little bit later. But as much as I love LaCosta here, this date is lazy producing. This is the exact same date that we saw in Tasha's season with the exact same person, I might add. It's Frank LaCosta yeah. making them get into wedding gear, write their vows, and he's going to take some pictures of them. We, I mean, less than a year ago, we saw this exact date. I really don't get it. I'm like, there are other ideas. Like, there's not like only five date types that you can do in a bubble. By the way, Lacosta's Chiron Reads Bachelor Nation photographer. Justin and Katie sit on a couch with champagne. They talk about whether they've been close to an engagement. Neither of them has. Justin says, people have checked off a couple boxes, but maybe I'm being too picky. But you've also showed me that not only those characteristics I wanted, but you've added some to it. He's very complimentary this whole time. And Franco separates them, isolates Justin. And Franco tells him, whatever comes out of your mouth has to be marvelous, iconic, something she's never heard before. And Justin (laughs) takes that note and he gives the most generic vows I've ever heard. They could have been about anyone. (laughs) This is a fucking lesson to any future players out there. There have been two dates this season where dudes had to do vows, some kind of proposal or wedding vow or whatever. Write this shit before you get in the game. At least have some idea about how you can make a joke out of it or make it interesting to just be put on the spot like this and be like, oh shit, now I got to come up with something. And he just shits out this generic whatever it ain't gonna cut it you know you have time to think of these things it's very likely you're going to be put in a position where you have to do some kind of vows and you can always use them you can create your own date with them as courtney robertson did on her hometown date with flagnick justin loads walls here he says opening up hasn't been something that always comes easy to me and back at the house (laughs) aaron's Professional rivalman Aaron, his right-hand man, Box James, throws Hunter under the bus. He reveals that Hunter has a top four list to Aaron and Brendan. And Aaron, he he thrives on this information. Dude, bachelorette historian. What's wrong with being a bachelorette historian, Aaron? Hello? This is the professional era, dudes. If you ain't playing the game, you're losing the game. It is that simple. Then the box man says, yeah, he definitely is a super fan. I heard he was in the forums and shit. Aaron laughs out loud, thinks he's too hot for forums. This is this enrages me when shit like this goes down. It's like, he was in the forums and shit. Oh, he was in Bachelor Nation? He was interacting with the fourth audience? I got news for you, motherfucker. Your entire livelihood could be based on that very soon if you play your cards right. I don't know if he's going to, how far he's going to go, if he's going to wind up in the, in paradise. I don't know, but you're going to be in the forums too in one way or another. And so to see that and be like, oh, I can't believe he was doing that. It's just like, 
Aaron clearly doesn't understand how to work his appearance from the show into parasocial power. Hunter is actually doing the correct thing. Katie Thurston was doing that type of shit. She was in Bachelor fan pages and stuff before she became Bachelorette. That's not verboten mm-hmm. anymore. No, it's helpful. And then you can avoid doing shit like Aaron is doing, which is just coming off as just so antagonistic. Not that you can control your edit that much, but uh, Boxman says he seems to know every detail about every episode of the show. Connecting the dots here. And then he goes through it. He's taking advantage of time. He's a super fan of the show. These are the dots that he's connecting. (laughs) (laughs) He likes a TV show and he's concerned about time. Brendan says he's fucking sneaky, eh? Aaron, fucking little sneakster. And this made me wonder if Nick Vial is going to identify strongly with Hunter that he's strategic and not manipulative, a quote from his recent interview with Katie Thurston. Mm, maybe. We'll By find way, out potentially in the future. Chatty Broads did a did such a hilarious impression of Aaron and James from last week's episode where they're both doing mobster impressions. It's mm-hmm. very good. I saw that. It's pretty fucking funny. Yeah. <laughs> then we go back to the one-on-one date. Katie and Justin are being nervous about taking these wedding pictures and they're talking about how these vows mean so much all of this is bad acting and then justin gets in some decent face play when he sees her in her dress he pulls out some notes and he reads his vows this is again the generic shit that we were just talking about it's like i'm going to cherish you for the rest of my life etc etc nothing funny nothing notable here katie reads her same kind of shit except she says you're the paint that colored my world i thought that was at least a nice little flourish And we get a kiss here. They take their photos, and she smashes some cake in his face, and they look forward to the night. That ends portion number two. Portion number three opens. It is night. Darkness has fallen across the land. I know that tone. And two creatures stand (laughs) in the moonlight of New Mexico. They are deers. One deer leans in close to another, as if to whisper into the other deer's ear. I can only imagine the deer said, Can you believe this dumb shit about these guys not jerking off? I can't believe the producers are doing this to us. And this deer, who was analyzing the game just like we do on our show, was my... Creature of the week. Damn, I did not catch that the deer was shit talking. Whoa, whoa. You had to turn it up a little bit because um, mm. it's very low on the track. It's not as loud as the eagle screech or the hawk screeching, but I love these deer. It was they cute. Were they were snuggling. They were cute. And then we get Hunter ITMing that he fears not getting a one on one. He's doing a little time cop here. And then we get that group date card. It arrives. It is red. The title is The Queen is Looking for Her King, Love, Katie, and the players on this group date will be Blake, Andrew, Michael A., Greg, Aaron, Mike P., Brendan, James, Trey, and Hunter is the last name red, which means Connor the Catman B is going to get that one-on-one. By the way, right before this, Virgin Mike says, 
before they get the date card, he goes, do you think it'll be the same order? One-on-one, group date, one-on-one? I like that that math. Everyone is doing fucking strategizing this season. Professional era through and through. You simply have to. It's like the advantage that you gain from thinking about the game mechanics and what's coming next so that you can be at least psychologically or emotionally prepared for whatever that crazy thing may be. The advantage is just too great. You can't fucking go through a season without gaming it at least a little bit. You just can't. Or you're gone. I feel like those are night one people at this point. Those are the people who mm-hmm. come into the situation and are just like, what the fuck is going on? I don't know. I don't really want to go like steal. This is all weird. It's people who treat it as a normal dating situation and not a Machiavellian game designed to bring you to tears or a nervous breakdown as quickly as possible. Trey at least feigns that he's happy for Connor B. Says, in the meantime, I'm going to crush the group date. That's the right attitude. Catman is so excited. And then we're back on the one-on-one. Justin and Katie having dinner. She PTCs uh, that her dad not being around makes this wedding event that much harder for her because it brings up thoughts of him not being at her actual wedding or even a proposal. And she goes to tears. To walk down the aisle, even in her imaginary world, it brings up a lot of pain, she says. And she says, there's another layer to this PTC, which we did not know. Her dad is not her biological dad. Her mom kept that a secret, and now her biological father wants to be in her life as a dad, but she doesn't know how to build that relationship when she's still mourning the passing of the man who raised her. I thought that was a fantastic play by her. Definitely. Katie shares these stories, and it's like the opposite of the ultimate girl gang conversation we saw in the beginning of this episode. They're so good. It doesn't feel acted. She's got tears. It's, I mean, I have cried more watching this season than I've cried in a lot of them. I don't know. It's just, they're getting me. The fourth audience. I have cried the exact same amount this season that I have every other season. Or ever. How dare you? <laughs> Just, I, sorry. I'm sure when you, you get have. turned into a vampire, you lose the ability to cry. You know that. You know that is a sore spot with me. <laughs> Justin, thanks, Katie, for sharing this next level of her PTC and for bringing him on this date. He plays a standard kind of shoulder to cry on, be your rock strategy, where he says, I want to be there for you in these moments when you're feeling down or having some kind of emotional duress. He gets a kiss out of this. He gets that one-on-one rose, which was a surprise to me. And then she takes him out back to a private concert with an artist named Max. Max, you can find at Max Music on Instagram, has 871,000 Instagram followers. A little story came out this past week that had Max saying he watched 23 seasons of The Bachelor during pandemic, and he told the producers this, and that's why they had him on. I got a tidal wave of DMs from people saying, look, this guy did his own hyper binge. I got news for you. Not even close. Sorry, Max Music. 23 seasons. I don't think it's uh, just Bachelor, by the way. That's probably everything he could find that's available easily, like Bachelorette, Bachelor, Bachelor in Paradise, maybe Bachelor Pad. 23 seasons over the course of the pandemic, which is a year, roughly, give or take. That ain't shit. That's child's play. You want to do a hyper binge? You're going to go, you're going to find all the seasons of one show, The Bachelor, 25 of them, and you're going to watch them all over the course of two and a half months on two times speed. That's a hyper binge. What Max Music did 
has just watched a lot of Bachelor over the course of a year at his own pace, leisurely for fun. No notes. Show me your spreadsheets, Max Music, and then we can start talking hyperbinge. He does not mention his hyperbinge during his musical performance. Justin and Katie kiss. She likes a little chemistry play that he does where he kisses her neck while they're watching the concert. He alludes to raising a love level in his ITM. You feel one way about her going into the date, and then it just goes to a different level. And Katie says, it felt like normal life, the beginning of what could be love. What the fuck is that? I wrote LL2 question mark. Well, she did load our love level two for him earlier. She said, Justin is someone I can see myself falling for. <laughs> She's doing a lot of twos. I believe the beginning of what could be love is also an L2. You know, this date was an interesting one. I've never really seen, I, or maybe I have and I've just forgotten it because it was so forgettable. But this was basically a floater one-on-one. He made no overt plays in this that were very good, but he still wound up getting the rose. And I don't really know why other than... She's just keeping him around, you know? This is, to me, this was like extreme floater. Yeah, I guess maybe the producers want him for face play. I don't know. But he winds up getting the rose, and then we move on to portion four. We open with a butterfly and a flower. The guys come out to meet Katie, and they're all informal wear. She says they're halfway through their journey together. Two people are there to help her find her king, it is Shea Coulee and Monet Exchange. These are superstars from Drag Race. Shea Coulee has 1.5 million followers on Instagram. Monet Exchange has 1 million herself. And Monet Exchange was my... Jorge, 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 Jorge Moreno, bystander of the week. week, week, week. We will see what Monet can do coming up, but Monet riles everyone up, gets them to actually roast people, pulls the love level three out of Hunter on stage. What more can you ask for from a bystander? Also tries to make it into Monet's own bachelorette by being like, I will date Andrew S., I will date this one, I will date this one, put in her request. This is kind of what I was talking about up top. Shea Coulee and Monet Exchange are like huge reality TV stars, vastly underused in this entire episode. Yes. Their best moment was in the fucking tag after the show is over. It's like you're going to have these two drag queens on the show who have over a million followers each. And I mean, we'll get into this date. They didn't even do drag. Like you got to have the guys yeah. now do drag. That's the date. And that is not the date that we get. I saw a random tagged post of them with Grippo. He wasn't in drag, but he was doing a runway walk. So there was some walk element that seems to have been edited out of this conspiracy. Well, the the date that we got to see is that Shea and Monet Exchange tell them that they're going to be roasting each other, basically. They're calling this event the Great Royal Debate. They do something like this on Drag Race where each of the players on Mm. that show have to roast one another. And that shit 
very usually that shit is fucking hilarious there's always one or two that are kind of like their their jokes are bad and they get made fun of for that but there's always like two or three of them that are like fucking professional level roasting wow i didn't know this and here we see that um no one from our guys is good at it so (laughs) the guys i was told that i would love drag race i haven't gone into it yet but yeah it's a good show forward to it so the guys have to go off and write their insults to one another down in these journals and we've seen mechanics like this in a lot of other dates where uh, the players get to go write a song or a stand-up routine or a story and then they come out and deliver it this is like what matt james did with the romance novel uh writing when they read dark lord harrison uh, like a page or two out of his book and then they each had to go off and write their own (laughs) erotic story that feels like 10 years ago maybe that's why the producers are like we can just recycle these dates we haven't used them in like 10 years and it's like no that was eight months ago Hunter then says he knows he's going to get shit from the other guys, but he's going to do something to set himself apart from them. And he uses the term leverage in this moment, which is fucking like game speech through and through. I loved that. And his plan is that these other guys are going to insult each other and he's going to say something heartfelt and that'll make him shine. Monet tries to stir up Aaron, says who's going to come on that stage and make my wig blow off. And Aaron is zeroing in on him. Says Hunter is the most nervous because he's fake as fuck. He knows he's the easiest target by far. He's about to get it. And Monet also encourages Trey. And Trey (laughs) starts doing some (laughs) stuff in his journal I didn't expect. Who invited this gremlin regarding Hunter? If you combine a squirrel and an angry beaver, Hunter is what you get. Then we go into the roast itself. James goes first. He is terribly boring and not funny. Greg goes second. He wrote a poem called 12 Guys, One Rose. It is also terrible. Shea and Monet Exchange are not impressed. And then they begin to take control of the date, which is needed because these guys are terrible mm-hmm. at this. And so they straight up ask, who is the least compatible for Katie? Hoping this is going to basically start a fight. Brendan decides he's going to stop floating and he's going to be the first person to actually roast and says, maybe Hunter, it's cute that you have a top four list already. It's funny that you're in my bottom four. Good one, Brendan. And says, Katie, you need a man that respects others right after he is... <laughs> literally shitting on this man on stage if you're gonna do a tattle you don't do it like this this is not in the spirit of a roast the roast is supposed to be funny and he's just calling a guy out for something it's not none of these guys understood the roast i don't think and that made this entire date just feel completely fucking pointless to me anyway so hunter then denies the accusation the other guys keep pressing it this idea of the top four list now starts to like dominate this weird conversation And then Monet narrows in on Hunter and says, how do you feel about Katie? Hunter says, I'm falling in love. No question. Public love level three extracted by Monet. Beautiful bystanding. And honestly, like this was, I felt a decent attempt here by Hunter. This is very reminiscent of Luke Parker's onstage Love Level 3. Mm-hmm. Also said in front of two drag queens from RuPaul's Drag Race on Hannah Brown's season. Interesting. But it doesn't quite work. The other guys don't believe it. You can kind of tell Katie doesn't believe it. He's not a good actor. And then all the guys are asked who's the biggest tryhard. Aaron again outs Hunter. 
And James comes at Hunter to call him a super fan and says he's commenting on the forums and blogs. That's where we get this uh, comment. And it's like... <sighs> All of this piling on of him being a super fan and being into the game of it, I just, I'll never understand why it's bad at this point, especially not to someone like Katie Thurston, who has played the game expertly to become the Bachelorette. She's aware of all this shit, too. I'm curious if the forums are now coming for anti-forum James, etc. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> And Aaron says, we all know you're a leprechaun dog. I know Katie has a heart of gold, but you can't add it to your pot. So then all of these guys just start exploding all of these mean things that they've written, but they were too cowardly to say before. And now they're bringing it out. And it's just like, it's so mean. And I, I don't know. I just feel like we're past the point where we make fun of people's physical appearances. Hunter ITMs that he doesn't care about the other guys. He's going to win. He's going to beat their asses and win Katie's heart. Straight game speech here. Uh, Look, say what you will about Hunter. I respect the dude for playing a game openly, saying that he's playing the game, and trying to win it. And obviously that doesn't work out for him. By the way, at the end of this, Monet does a very bachelor line and says, with that being said, Katie will see you all at the after party. Like that little, little note. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Football is back. And the best bet you can make is downloading the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It doesn't matter if you're new to gambling or an old pro. FanDuel has something for everyone. And as an official sports betting partner of the NFL, you know your bets are safe. There's also never been a better time to use FanDuel. Because right now, you'll get up to $1,000 back if your first bet doesn't win. You can even turn a small wager into a big payday with a same-game parlay bet. Just sign up with the promo code SPOTIFY to place your first bet risk-free on FanDuel Sportsbook. Download FanDuel today. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. And portion number five begins. Justin grabs the date card. Passes next to a ladder. So many ladders. Date card reads, Connor, let's let our love shine bright. And Connor, so, so for TR this whole episode. Honestly, man, I'd take anything. Any ITMs, it feels a little bit like Christmas. (laughs) That's like shy style, little kid style. I don't know what the fuck that is. It's bad style. You could just, I mean... The the cat suit that Connor came in, the taut that he did in his limo exit, it was a fucking bold play, and it worked out a little bit. But you could just see his shy style dwindling as the season was progressing, unfortunately, because he was in my original top four. But mm. Condolences. Back at the after party, Katie hits the fact that hometowns are coming up. She tantalizes us with that. Don't forget, playoffs are right around the corner. And she says that some of the connections she has with the guys aren't enough. And the after party is their chance to prove otherwise. She's giving them this like line in the sand. This is it, motherfuckers. If you don't do it now, you're going home. Intense toast. (laughs) She ITM's not being concerned about what she heard about Hunter. And we see some one-on-one time with Andrew S. He assures her that he has not jerked off. Now we're getting the call back to the week without whacking off. Or what is it? Whoa, whoa. 
week off whacking off. Week off whacking. <laughs> Andrew S says that he's really starting to feel this. What we have, no one else has, and how we kiss, no one else kisses that way. Great kiss lead in line. He gets his kiss. Yeah. And we see that, that uh, then Greg Grippo gets his one-on-one time. He says he feels good about where they are. And she's like, well, you seem hesitant. And he tells her that it's so hard for him. And he's falling for her at this point. It's scary because he can't read her. That's an LL3, perfectly fucking played. And he asks how she's feeling. She fucking LL3s him back. I'm falling for you. It's exciting and scary, and we get a kiss. This was the best one-on-one time, I thought, of the game. For sure. Except for one other one-on-one time, which I'm going to get to later. (laughs) Yeah, this was almost my play of the game. Extracting the love level three from Katie, and it felt like a very real moment. I know that they made a little promo out of this exact exchange. Hunter is playing a very strong not here to make friends strategy by the way in his ITM saying they can talk and talk those guys aren't what I'm here for it matters what Katie thinks and now we're at the point where Grippo and Hunter are the only LL3s that we've seen this season they are in the lead with the love levels Trey has a conversation with Aaron and Boxman and says that he thinks Hunter has split intentions there's a part of him, the super fan, that has a good idea of the playbook that you need to run out here. Part of him does have real feelings for Katie, but using the playbook, you weaponize that specifically, it felt performative to me. I was like, Trey, Hunter doesn't have the playbook. We wrote the playbook. You could order it on pre-order now. <laughs> You're going to love it. Yes, I thought the <laughs> There's going to be pictures thing. and charts. <laughs> I thought literally the exact same thing. I was like, the playbook's not out yet, dude. How could he have it? Did he hack my computer? Yeah. Yeah. But what Trey is hinting at here is essentially the thesis for me of the entire game. Everyone is somewhere on that scale of how aware are you of the game versus how real are your feelings. Nobody is 100% one way or the other. Well, that's not true. Some people are probably 100% gameplay. But even the people who have real feelings, you still have to play this game. You still have to be aware of it. You still have to make it to the end. So having a mix of those things, game awareness and real emotions, is what every good player has to have. Trey identified it here. He's just not acting on it. I mean, you have to. You, in order to get time, you have to be the first responder or you have to steal, both of which are gameplay. Otherwise, you're just turtling. Is that nonsense? <laughs> and even turtling is gameplay. By the way, it's just bad gameplay. It's bad. But it's still <laughs> gameplay. <laughs> so James then ends this portion by ITMing that he plans to tattle on Hunter being their 4TWR. And we begin portion six. We now have one-on-one time with Blake. He fills us in on his jerk-off routine once after work and once before bed with a few more jerks on the weekends. He says this week without whacking off or week off whacking off. I will never get the name right. The challenge is hard whoa, for whoa. him. Whoa, whoa. That's right. The whoa, whoa week is hard for him, but he's trying to save it up until Fantasy Suites and Katie throws a kiss lead in here line of her own by asking, does that mean we should or should not kiss? And of course, they're going to kiss. Just this simple little conversation by Blake Moynes is so powerful. He is using the sexual innuendo, having Katie imagine him jerking off, etc. 
And he's also giving a little future casting to Fantasy Suites. He's like, well, I'm going to be around till Fantasy Suites, obviously. So, Totally. He's expressing confidence, humor, and a willingness to do what she's saying, no matter how absurd or contrived. Katie then ITMs that she loves having these playful times with the guys, and she says this night's going so well that she's going to say the magic words that producers have forced her to say in an ITM, I don't know how tonight could be ruined. And then we cut directly to one-on-one time with James, and we see how the (laughs) night will now be ruined. They do this all the time, where they get a lead or a player to say something about how great everything's going, and nothing could ruin this night, and then they cut to how it gets ruined. And it is one-on-one time with James. He tattles on Hunter for a lack of consistency and calculated behavior. The timing of his LL3 raises concerns for James, and Katie ITM's wondering how serious or not serious this could be. And James's tattling in this one-on-one time was my error, 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 error of the game. I really want to give my error of the game to all these guys who tattled on this group date. Mm-hmm. And we see a couple more Triple of them tat. that come here. But James was the one who started it off. And we'll see that this is just disastrous. Tattling other than Trey doing it this season successfully, it just never works. You might be able to sink the person that you're tattling on, but you're going to fucking take a hit too. Or at the very least, you're going to ruin an after party or a cocktail party and you're going to fuck things up for everybody else. You're going to change the vibe. You're going to piss off the lead. It's just never, ever really worth doing unless it's very calculated, very strategic, or you're forced to do it by the lead. Here, none of that is true. This is just like, battering ram style like you know what hunter's a piece of shit what do you think about that it's like well i I don't know so then they you don't even need to have research you don't even need to have been in the forums to know this it's already happened multiple times this season that it blows up and they cancel parties etc by the way the box man is wearing a tight turtleneck in this the man likes to be in tight constricting spaces Oh, getting a little psychological analysis on James Boxman. All right. (laughs) I like it. James Tattles. Then we get one-on-one time with Trey. Oh, Trey. I had higher hopes for Trey. I thought maybe after his error of his uh, his Thomas Tattle, he would, you know, maybe make some other plays. But he has one play that he does. He tells Katie that Hunter gave a different answer to one of the drag queens off stage and on stage regarding his love level. And this was my error, 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 error of the game. With James and Aaron, I didn't see. P- long potential but Trey like he could have had something he could have been a contender you know but he got positive reinforcement for his prior title that one worked he got Mm. a rose and I think James and Aaron Aaron is just like this is all the man does he targets someone he tattles on them he tries to get them removed and James I think probably saw that Trey got the rose for his prior title and was like fuck it I'm gonna be the first one this time I'm gonna get that group date rose Maybe. And obviously it, it all backfired on all of them. It was a disappointment. 
But it is followed by Aaron tattling on Hunter. And then Hunter, one-on-one time, where Katie confronts him about the tattles. He doesn't really have much of an answer for this. Says, I don't blame you for wanting to look into that. (laughs) But I focus only on you, and it's not calculated. Michael A. doing his 4TRR to the guys. I think he cares for her about Hunter. And Hunter tells Katie he doesn't want drama for her. He's trying to be an adult, but can only handle his side of the street. And Katie says she's going to take a minute. Hunter tells the guys he had the worst convo of all time with her. And Katie says, I'm going to throw up. We see her go to the bathroom. We hear puking noises. Katie, IFI, throws up in the bathroom, presumably. Over just the stress of this fucking game. I don't know. Have we ever seen? it's like the hawk screeches. (laughs) It's not real. I think that was real. She just went to pee. (laughs) Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it's completely fabricated i have no idea but they're at least showing us that she's puking they're they're trying to convey that and aaron then itms as a little bit of a narrator that brendan mike p and michael are all turtling at this point katie returns to the group after her very noisy vomiting and she calls the night off no group date rose will be handed out all are punished this is the terrible consequence of that group tattle it can derail the entire night that's why we both gave an error of the game to each person who was involved in this. And she tells him she's going to see him at the cocktail party. We then cut to portion number seven. There is a hawk flying overhead, screeching or not, but we hear the screech. Connor B is getting ready for his one-on-one. He rolls his suitcase up to the front door and he pats it. And we know he's going Mm. home in that moment. They ain't showing us that (laughs) unless they're kicking him (laughs) off the fucking show. hundred percent. Exactly. So they meet on the pathway in front of the resort. He runs to her, and she actually pulls a pretty nice hooju here. There is, of course, a loss of points for zero approach on her part. But she is in the power position as the lead, so it's kind of permissible that he's going to be the one doing the approach. But nonetheless, it's going to take points off the score. She has a great mount, though. One clean motion. High cling, legs clear the hips, her arms clear the shoulders, but because there was no approach, she has to use her forearms on his shoulders to really get the height that she needs. She kind of presses herself up. I would have liked to have seen just a little more momentum leading into this huju to avoid the prop-up effect, but it looks like she gets double ankle lock. We can't see that from the footage provided, and the, and the dismount is pretty good. Total, I say this huju gets about a 6.2 from me. Again, some great components, but without that approach, you just can't get a score in the higher numbers. It's just not possible. There were two hoojus on this date. Did you notice that? Yes. Okay, we'll get to it. Uh, Connor B, <laughs> ITMs, call me Mr. Cloud9. Katie loads that she's missing the physical attraction, doesn't feel a spark when they kiss, but is hoping things will change. And this date is a bizarre double date with our beloved host and goat, Caitlin Bristow. And her partner, Jason Tardick. They play a bunch of games. They play volleyball, the cool cats versus the dirty dogs. Uh, Katie says, I'm definitely better at volleyball. And Connor says, I set up a couple of spikes and who's he what's it's cute. Is it cute or is this very bad play? You're going to have to do some kind of athletic endeavor in the game, period. If you get into the game and you last longer than night one, you're like 80-some percent likely that you're going to have to do some sporting event. 
Fucking do some sports before you go on this show. Just take a weekend. Go out to practice your basic eye hand or something. Because, yeah, he's like, I don't play sports, whatever. But that shit has a sub-psychological effect. When you're the worst (laughs) player out there on that volleyball court, you're demonstrating lower value, whether you know it or not. I think it seems to me he only has one area of his game he really needs to work on. But... Yeah, they really hit that shit hard that it's like, there's going to be one kiss, and that kiss is going to determine the yeah. fate of the world, because in that moment, I will know for sure. It They really, really pump that up, and that's all producers doing, where they're telling everybody in the ITMs, like, okay, Caitlin, talk about how important kissing is. All right, Katie, tell us how important this big last kiss is going to be for you, that it's going to be the make-or-break moment, blah, blah, blah. It's all very contrived. They also play some weird game where they have to like use their bodies to roll a coconut up to their mouths. It's what unclear the what was the goal that? was. I don't I know. I have no idea. <laughs> I, it's just this haphazard like who fucking thought of that? Some producer was like, "Oh, there I mean, that has to be a game. I don't think they invented it. That has to be something someone has done at some point in history." Right. It's probably just they were like, what's like an icebreaker that we can use to make them start to get physically close to each other? Didn't work. Uh, it, it just fell completely flat. Makes no sense. And then Caitlin ITMs that uh, she and Tartik actually started out as friends. And then we see another who Jew. And this shit is unreal. I went back and frame by framed it. This is not a Huju done by Katie Hurston. I was so happy for you. It was fucking incredible. This Huju is done by Caitlin Bristow to Jason Tardick. There is no approach. This is standing completely still. No inertia. No momentum. She leaps straight up. Wraps her fucking legs around him in a double ankle lock. Elevates using only leg power. All in about half a second. It's like lightning quick. It's just like, bing! She's fucking on him. Elevated up. And then she fucking moves into a single arm grip like a rodeo cowboy. As if to say, I can do this shit in my sleep. This is the stuff of dreams. (laughs) She still got it, ladies and gentlemen. I was so happy to see it. It was, she's a professional. She's a professional player. She's a professional dancer, etc. She can't be stopped. She's untouchable. She's the goat. But I mean, she, this hooju she pulled off was like she was in her fucking prime. She hasn't lost a fucking step. And I was just like, God damn. You know, you forget, especially with her status as this weird co-host on this show where she's mm-hmm. drastically underused. You forget how fucking good she was at everything and here she just reminds you she's like oh you want to see a huju here you go ding and it's just like oh fuck that's the best one i've seen in like three years on the show it's fucking crazy part of me was like this date reminded me of her one-on-one date with chris souls where jimmy kimmel was there and i was like oh why is that reminding me and i was like oh well bristow's on this date (laughs) and she and jason are kind of like the celebrities and they're like grilling Caitlin or Katie says Connor B is good at dad jokes, brings a topic sushi. Connor B, I could give you a joke, but it would be a little fishy. It was rice of you to ask, though. Oh, man. He's just putting in so much work. Jason's rooting for him, says he hopes Connor is in the game. 
And then they split the genders apart. The men will be grilling meat, and the women will be making drinks. And they each talk about the others. And Caitlin basically tells Katie that friendship beginnings are actually good, and it worked for her and Jason Tardick, and she says things can change. Time changes things, and kisses change things. The producers have made sure she's going to fucking hammer that into your skull. One more kiss. One more kiss. One more kiss. Whoa, whoa, weak. One more kiss. I mean, it really seems like the Tardics here are trying as hard as they can to make her consider Connor B, even though she obviously doesn't want to do it. So it's all going to boil down to the special kiss, and they initiate the kiss. They're sitting on a bench. They start kissing. Tardic and Caitlin openly admit that it's creepy they're watching them. And I was like, well, yeah, but what about the fucking 12 camera people that are standing around the bench? All the producers who are there. What about the 3.5 million people who are watching them on TV? It's like, it's no creepier than any of that, in my opinion. But during this kiss, it looked to me very much like Katie Thurston was trying as hard as she could not to laugh during it. Did it look like that to you? No. Maybe it was just me. Oh, no. I mean, maybe it was because the producers were hitting the one last kiss thing and it was just so much pressure and you got a cameraman in your face. Right. They probably made him kiss multiple times. They were probably like, can we get a little more kissing? We just need about like five more seconds kissing. Can you just just do that again? Yeah. And she was probably just like fucking over it. But I mean, this entire day, it was a waste because they showed us the shot of him padding the suitcase. You know right there he's fucking gone. None of this is meaningful. So we're just waiting for the fucking execution now. Well, they don't... Yeah, they don't show the suitcases before unless it's a two-on-one. If it's a one-on-one and they show the suitcase, that person is going home. Right. They kiss. Bristow and Jason try to peep Tom, but they can't get a good look. And we begin portion number eight... Catman is getting ready in his suit. He says it was just a perfect little day. I can't. It's just hurting my heart. <laughs> he's fucking playing though. He's hurt. He's playing. He's playing well. It's it's working on me. This heartbreak at it. It got me. He, his heart is not broken. This motherfucker's like, I'm gonna walk out of here with a couple hundred thousand Instagram followers. I'm gonna go to paradise. He's thinking Bachelor. Yeah. You what know? are his numbers at? Maybe that'll make me feel better. 41.2k oh man (laughs) he's got paradise coming we'll see what he can do katie already has her head in her hands and she is dressed in casual clothing so we know what's coming connor's itms i want her to meet my family i see myself falling in love with her loads love level two katie does a knock knock in her hoodie she is already crying she says, the more I learned about you, the more I realized what a great man you are. The song you wrote to me, that meant the world. I can't look at you right now. Connor B says, it's okay. And he performs. He reprises a move that Tasha Adams performed on Colton Underwood when he eliminated her after Fantasy Suites, providing the shoulder to cry on for the lead. It was brilliant. He says a line in here where he says, I know where this is going. Just breathe. It's okay. He's already accepting the dismissal Mm -hmm. and saying i know that you have to do this basically for the show i'm gonna be okay because he's already flipped that switch from i'm gonna see how far i can get into this game to okay this is how far i got now i gotta parlay this into paradise he's already thinking about the next step in that moment i believe 
he said what happened Katie says I'll be honest when we kissed there was something missing in that kiss and it was hard because everything about us was so easy so good but when we kissed something was missing he says fuck he starts crying he says it's okay it's worth it to have met you she tells him she wishes the best she's sobbing walks out she says he knew I was about to break his heart he still put me first that's a man you'd be lucky to be with I just hope when he leaves here tonight he knows just how worthy he is of finding love feel good ITM and then he ITMs a little bit of heartbreak starting out that strong and then dot 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 god how bad of a kisser am i (laughs) fuck (laughs) don't ever commit yourself saying that to tape that's a bad fucking move in my opinion because now it's going to be his identity the bad kisser if he shows up on paradise he's going to have to either use that to get kisses or overcome that or whatever you know it's like i don't think you ever want that to be part of your archetype that you're a bad kisser or maybe you do and you hope that you're going to get like a kissing coach date and they'll focus on you and give you screen time but it marginalizes you into an evan bass kind of role oh for sure Evan Bass, very successful. Yeah, he was, but not at the highest levels. Evan Bass and Carly Waddell were like the second tier players who found each other. They kind of were the first ones to really put forth that archetype of like, you don't have to be first Mm -hmm. sand. You don't have to be the most desirable player on the beach. Exactly. They're like the best friends of Jade and Tanner in a romantic comedy. You know, that's what Connor, the Catman B has kind of relegated himself to that tier of player, I think, by saying this. He then goes back to the house as I came to say goodbye. He extracts tears from Trey. He extracts tears from Grippo. Aaron says, I want to be more like you. Aaron is not making any effort to be like Catman at all. And Connor says, there's no better person for Katie than you guys. Everything faded away too much when Connor B was with Katie and he forgot his chemistry game. But I appreciated his play style. I, I'm surprised. Yeah. I thought he was going to be top four. I did too. And then as he's rolling his suitcase into the night and getting into the car, James then says to the other guys, we were five for five on one-on-ones, and you just assume a guy like Connor is going to come back with that rose. This is the same motherfucker who got pissed at Hunter for <laughs> using game speech. He's talking about fucking statistics of one-on-one roses five for five you just assume he's going to come back with a rose it's like come on dude you're playing the game too you can't the hypocrisy of it is mind-blowing to me not that katie thurston would see it because this is happening with the other guys but they're all talking about the game yeah but james has never set his eyes upon a forum how dare you (laughs) (laughs) fuck And then uh, Connor cries in the car as he's driven into the night. And this is truly the first front runner to get knocked out of the game. And it happens, obviously, every season. It's just math, you know. But it's always a little Mm -hmm. shocking. And we hope that Connor's going to be okay. We hope to see him in paradise. Because I do think he's, he's still a good player. He's an interesting player. I like watching him. I thought he might get first sand when this exit happened until I just looked at his numbers. And I was like, oh, maybe not. Yeah, I don't think he's got a shot at first sand. I don't even think he's first wave. I think he's probably second wave. Portion nine. Katie's crying in her room. She ITMs, I knew it would be heartbreaking to say goodbye. Checks all these boxes. Missing the spark. And then a song 
plays in the distance. What is this song? It is a song we've heard recently from her date with Blake Moines at the concert. Blake Moines performs a knock-knock where he's serenading Katie with a boombox outside her balcony. This man knows that there is time on the table and he is not fucking around. He is serenading her Jed Wyatt style. And this knock-knock by the master of extra time himself, Blake Moines, was my... Play, 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 play of the game. This knock-knock from the game master, Blake Moines, was also my... Play, 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 play of the game. I have some question about whether or not that music was actually playing because editing music is like a fucking nightmare, practical music, you know, if you make any Mm -hmm. cut, the song jumps. So at the very least, they put that song back over it by itself in the editing. I think that's probably what they did. You know what I mean? Yeah. But um, uh, this play obviously can't happen without the producers. So we are seeing mm-hmm. here the producers favor Blake Moynes heavily. I believe he has the strongest first audience game. I believe he has the strongest third audience game now. And second audience game, who else is left in the house that is a oh. fan or, or that is a favorite of all the other players? Michael A. Michael A, maybe, yeah. But Moines is basically uncontested here, and with the power of the producers behind him, this is fucking over. The show is this, over. Nothing says that you have the third audience behind you more than getting this knock-knock. Getting her her first heartbreaking goodbye, you swooping in and getting that time, that's basically first sand of this. It's excellent timing, obviously. So whether the producers told him like, hey, we're going to send you in now, or it was kind of his idea and he went to them, we'll never know. But certainly they Mm -hmm. helped him get there. The timing was fucking perfect. And then he comes in and he plays this entire thing perfectly as well. He says he came by Mm because he thought she could use some cheering up. Uh, She fucking lights up, obviously. And she invites him into the room. They make out against a wall where here we see the difference between a kind of... uh, Connor Catman B shy style kissing, which didn't work out well, and the bold style kissing of Blake Moines. And we see that Katie prefers the kissing of Moines. And as I said, when he entered the game, it's his. This is over. It was over the second he fucking came in. Now, I don't know if he's going to get the ring or the crown. Whichever one he wants is his, but he's getting one of them. That's a fucking 100% lock. This little back and forth between them. Blake, I heard you had a bad night. Katie, I wish I looked a little cuter. You look great. Blake says, I told you I like raw. And she's like, oh my God, hi. I was just like, game over. Like, that is chemistry. And they make out a hundred fucking times in different locations in her room, in the wall, in the balcony, (laughs) like everywhere they basically (laughs) can. And he ITMs that he's falling for her. LL3 loaded. And then when he goes back to his room, he puts out his do not disturb sign and ITMs that he's ready to enjoy his, in quotes, happy ending 
All of this is producer scripted to hit that joke of the jerk off. And we even see a sprinkler pop up out of the ground and spray water. And this is, of course, an ejaculation motif. And again, all of this is written by the producers. They told him to put the Do Not Disturb sign out. That is an acted bit. And the happy ending is a scripted line that they told him to say in the ITM. I just, again, the door sign. I'm like, why are they undercutting their biggest romance with this dumb shit? I don't get it. I guess maybe they're like, we're telling a romance story of two very like sex positive people maybe is like Mm -hmm. the thinking. I don't know. Yeah, that's definitely the thinking. They're just not executing it correctly. They've turned it into kind of a joke of itself, you know? Yeah. Portion 10, guys walk to the cocktail party. James is loading love level one. I have feelings for Katie. Okay, James. First responders, Brendan with the drink. Katie tells them to sit. This week was tough. Group date was hard. Time isn't going to make a difference tonight, time cops. I have strong relationships with the men in this room. Going to be intentional with where my heart is. Cocktail party is canceled. But she takes her drink and leaves. Trey says, time is everything with Katie. And I'm like, exactly, Trey. So why did you spend it all tattling? Hunter ITMs that these guys pulling and in quotes, Hail Mary will not affect his relationship (laughs) with her at all. That I thought was brilliant. And they're all now at the rose ceremony and a towel is removed from the rose pile by an unseen figure. And the guys notice that there are only six roses on this pedestal, meaning that four are going to be sent home, including Connor the Catman, which makes five total for this episode. Katie emerges, takes her deep breath, thanks the guys for being patient, says she has to follow her heart, and she hopes they understand. This is a very common mid-season speech, and she calls Hunter's name, and everybody does a double take, but she's not giving him a rose. She's going to take him outside to talk while she holds a rose in her hand. This is a moment designed by the producers to achieve maximum cruelty. They have told Katie Thurston exactly what she's going to do. You're going to call Hunter's name, You're going to walk away with a rose, and you're going to take him out and have a conversation with him. It's going to make him have a nervous breakdown. It's going to make all the other players have a nervous breakdown. Let's get him. And Katie does it. She uh, fulfills the role of the lead here, basically, that we heard her talking with Nick Vial about on that episode of Vial Files that we broke down on Monday. And then we cut to commercial. Even we are not immune from the cruelty of the producers. And when we come back in portion 11, we get some one-on-one time with Hunter, and She tells him she wanted to resolve everything, and he says he didn't want the moment to go down like that. The other guys are all super nervous, and James once again engages in game speech, saying when he heard Hunter's name getting called, he thought that meant he was going to be sent home. So he's already doing the math of, if Hunter gets a rose, I won't get one. He's playing the game, just like fucking Hunter once again here. Someone is rewarded for their knock-knock. Blake Moynes gets first flower. Andrew S. second, Grippo third, Michael A. fourth, Virgin Mike fifth. Michael shakes his hand when he returns. Bristow does the dark touch. Last flower goes to Brendan. In my mind, I was like, Blake Boynes gets a plus one. That's what this is. (laughs) 100%. They're going to roll up some kind of Brendan and Blake friendship in the next episode for fucking sure. But we now have... 
a bunch of players with five roses. And so I just did a quick calculation. Greg Grippo, who had the Fimp, he had a one-on-one date rose. He had a first flower, a second flower, now a third flower. His RQ, as of right now, is 1.2. Extremely low. Not quite as low as we had hoped, but he's in the running for one of the lowest of all time still in Bachelorette. We will keep tabs on that. it looks like he might get a zero-pointer next week. Right. We'll keep tabs on it as the season unfolds, but tonight we said goodbye to Hunter Trey, Aaron James, and Connor the Catman B. All of their souls were drained by the Dark Lord from afar. Still, I feel that he drains these players' souls, even though he's not around. (laughs) I feel that he has the remote power to do so. I think that's fair. Tasha enters and delivers a butchered version of the Tam Sig. If you did not receive a rose tonight, please say your goodbyes. And then we get uh, some exit speeches from those who were consumed. Trey's exit speech has no regrets. This is just not a girl I kind of like. She's one of the best women I've ever met, but she has to do what's best for her. I'm going to be happy with being me from start to finish. It's been a beautiful journey. I learned a lot. This is a perfect paradise speech. He's praising the process, praising the lead. Fantastically done. He hugs her and says, you're a gem. But, Trey, she's not just a gem. She's a desert gem. Call back to night one. Nice. (laughs) Okay. I'll go now. (laughs) (laughs) Give your exit speech right along with Hunter and Trey. Yeah, Trey's exit, he's he's pretty for TRR. He seems a little on the verge of tears. Hunter says, it's going to take me a while to get closure. Why this unraveled the way it did. She didn't 100% want me here. Fuck them. But I imagine we will be seeing him in paradise. Who was he saying and fuck them to, by the way? The other players or was that the producers? I think it was about the tattlers. Yeah, I think so too. And then we get... Katie telling those that remain that things are going to get harder from here on out. That's a very common thing to say at this point. And we get a promo for next week after they all cheers. We see Grippo kissing in the rain. Planeta whispers in Katie's ear. She eats gum with Grippo. Andrew S. reprises his lift update. We get a bunch of kisses. Blake says he told her he's not in love with her. That is going to cause some drama, we feel like. And then she runs to Andrew S. and hoojus him in a kind of desperate final act, it seems like as we see her hyperventilating as well. And then we get the tag, which is Katie with Shay and Monet. And they have a few shots in their, what looks to be morning drinks, I'm not sure. And she tells them that Greg is the best kisser of all the guys. And Shay Coulee asks if she can be invited to stagecoach. Shay Coulee knows the game. Monet also said about Grippo, give him my number if it doesn't work out, which is like, Monet is targeting all of them she's basically one of the um the clasha guys who are in all the matt james women's dms <laughs> just <laughs> spewing them out just hit them all <laughs> see which one lands love it but that was it that, that's the uh, conclusion of tonight's weird game with the moratorium on masturbation who was your mvp for tonight for his knock knock his whoa whoa chemistry play resulting in his first flower for everything this man is doing Blake Moynes was my M M M M V P P 
Blake Moines was also my M M M M M V P. I mean, I don't know how much more good shit I can say about what he's doing here. He's absolutely dominant, top to bottom. Even in this case, when he wasn't on a one-on-one, he turned the entire show into a fucking one-on-one. He made his own one-on-one. What he did in that late-night knock-knock was more impressive, more important, better gameplay than anything anyone else did on any of their other dates. And he fabricated that, again, with the help of the producers, but I would argue that that only means he's even a better player. If you have the weight of the producers behind you, you're fucking untouchable. That's game over. He is so good at manufacturing time. I mean, from Clay's season, he was crashing dates. He was getting extra time. I mean, he is aware of what crevices of time he can slip into. (laughs) And don't forget, this motherfucker crashed the season. Again, that's something that producers have to help you do. Now, we don't know when he actually reached out to producers to say, I want to be on this season. I would guess it was well before the season started and he could have been in the player pool from the beginning. But instead, they used the same mechanic that they used in really both of the bubble seasons. You had Heather Martin coming in in uh, season 25, which did not work to her advantage. And then you had five new players coming in in the prior season of Bachelorette, which I would argue is a kind of a crashing of the season as well. But Blake Moynes here is taking what he learned in season 16 of Bachelorette, and he is just using it to the utmost. And I I just Mm -hmm. don't see another player even challenging him, really. I think it's between Grippo and Moynes. It's going to be interesting. Grippo don't have that thing that Blake Moynes has, and I don't know really how to express it, but I remember when we looked at their Instagrams before season 16 of Bachelorette, and I said, Blake Moynes is the next Bachelor. I see it in him. There is something there that Grippo doesn't have. It's like a certainty, and I don't know if it's actually confidence or if it's he's just kind of oblivious to the situation he's in, but I don't think it's that because I think he's very aware of the situation. I think it's confidence and it's skill. Grippo doesn't have those things. Grippo is still like a little influenced by the show and like, well, I'm having a hard time. He's still doing shy style. He needs to turn on a fucking dime. Shy style Grippo needs to die and bold style Grippo needs to be born in the next episode. He's got to start challenging Blake Moynes in that style of play or he's fucking done. I think the shy style will fade away. I don't think it's as natural for him as it is, say, in a Leo or a Catman. Right. I think there's there's other stuff at work here. Well, we're going to find out very soon. I think in the next week or two, you're going to start seeing some head-to-head competition between Moines and Grippo, and that's going to be fantastic to watch. Yeah, but I look forward to it. That does it for our coverage of tonight's big game. So thank you for joining us. And once again... If you want to pick up a Do You Hooju t-shirt, you just go to bonfire.com slash hooju. And if you want to pick up the playbook. The playbook. (laughs) That people were talking about all through this episode tonight. It's now available for pre-order. You can find links for it all over our social media. And you can also pick it up wherever you get your books. It is called How to Win the Bachelor. It is written by Lizzie Pace and Chad Colchin. 
And we will be coming back in 48 short hours to deliver this week in Bachelor Nation, where we're going to give you all the Bachelor Nation news. We're going to talk about all the social media gains of some of the players from this season. We're going to talk about parasocial plays of a lot of different people. There's already some very interesting ones shaping up. And, of course, we're going to be screaming from the pit and talking about the state of the world. So we hope that you join us for that as well. I definitely already have my scream. <laughs> Do you? Interesting. Uh-huh. Yeah. Can't wait to hear it. And before we go, as always, what is that dwab at? It has been 7,050 days without an Asian bachelor. Praise be our beloved game. Please rate this podcast. Please review this podcast. Please get a friend to listen to us. And then please rate this podcast. Please review this podcast. Please get a friend to listen to us. And then please rate this podcast. Please review this podcast. Please get a friend to listen to us and then. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.